You know, we love to celebrate the Christmas season, and particularly at White Oak, we love celebrating the Christmas season, because it's that time when we really lean into the fact that God gave us this amazing gift of his son, because he, he loved the world so much, he didn't want anyone to perish, but to have eternal life, and so he gave us his only begotten son. Now, sometimes we think about Christmas more with the manger scenes and those kinds of things that are, that are involved and they're important. But our series is called Before and After because we want to take a look at what the world was like before Jesus came, what it's like when he came, and then what's different about us because Jesus came. You know, festivals and celebrations are all through the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And those celebrations were loud, and they were boisterous, and they were oftentimes very expensive. That's because God had commanded them, and he knew that it would take the best of his people if they were going to come and celebrate during a festival. They spent a lot of time, money, and energy thanking God and celebrating him for what he'd done in their lives as well as how he had delivered and rescued them and was faithful to them. So what I want you to do right now is just turn to the person beside you and say, Merry Christmas, be filled with joy. Go. Yeah, wave around. So some of you may want to tell people back there so you can go ahead and tell them too. Ready? Go. <laughs> there you go, man. I mean, it's, it, I hope your celebrations are better than the way you just did that. That's for sure. But it is that exciting time when we get to talk about Jesus. We want to celebrate what, Jesus, what God has done for us through Jesus. We want to pay attention to what he's doing in our lives today. Because we want to introduce people to the good news of the great joy that he brings to us. And so that's why we, we light this third candle today. To be reminded of the joy that comes because we follow Jesus. Doesn't mean things are easy. Doesn't mean that things are light. But it means that it is, they're joy-filled. And here's our big idea for today. And it's this. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. Now, as Americans, we don't quite understand that idea of freedom because we've, most of us have experienced that as a part of our lives. I love the fact that a little bit later I'm going to be talking with Sue Brain, who she and her, her husband Tom are missionaries to West Africa. And one of the things that Sue said to me is, you, you just don't realize how different things are in America compared to the rest of the world. Things that we take for granted, things that, that we expect every day, are, are very unique in the rest of the world. And one of those things is freedom. But today I want to dig a little deeper because the freedom that Jesus is talking about here is the freedom from the bondage of sin. The things that, that lock us up, that keep us from being what God wants us to do. Now we called this series Before and After. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy seeing some of those before and after shows. I'm not as, uh, you know, not as egotistical as Kevin and, and uh, uh, Nathan were, where they put their before and after pictures up there. I, you don't want to see mine. You know, it's just too good. But that's another story. Uh, but before and after, here are some of those home makeovers. Maybe you've been involved with that. It takes more than a little bit of carpet or a little bit of paint. Other before and afters are for people who have gone on diets, for folks who are transforming their businesses. Maybe, maybe they're changing their schools. You're seeing transformation take place there. But over and over again, you see those television shows in, on our 16,000 channels and 40,000 TV shows that you just want to watch. So let me give you a freebie on this one. Just turn into the last three minutes of any of those shows, you see the whole thing, right? 
They give you all the before and after pictures. Boom, you're done. Celebrate. We're out. Give me some popcorn. I mean, that, that's really what happens in those TV shows. For us, that change is radical. And we miss that. We miss that. Because we want to be reminded about what was before we became Christians, what's true about Jesus, and then what changes in our lives. And it should be radical in each of our lives. This week's message is entitled, From Bondage to Freedom. And it's that idea of being bound, of not having any freedom, not being able to do the things that God may intended for us. Because before Jesus came, we were in bondage to sin. We struggle with that concept, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. In order for us to really understand what was going on in Jesus' life, we have to understand the culture in which he came. And in that first century, the Roman government was in charge. Basically, the Jewish people were in bondage to the Roman government. Uh, There was a certain amount of freedom and a certain amount of peace, excuse me, because the Romans were in charge. But the reason that there was peace is because the Romans had their thumb on everybody. When they would go into a community, when they would go into a country, they would overthrow whatever the leadership was there at that time and impose their will on the population. So that's why when you get to the end of Jesus' life, the Jews go to Pilate to ask him to do the crucifixion because they weren't in charge of their own country. And, and they were really chafing under that bondage. They, were, they, they just could hardly stand the fact that, that they were not in charge. What, what is... What is amazing is that the people have been crying out for years for God to deliver them. Again, we don't quite understand that because of our experience of freedom here in the U.S. But they've been crying out for generations, God, speak to us. God, do something. This is not right. This should not continue on. You promised to care for your people. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. In fact, from the end of Malachi, which is the last Old Testament book, to the first verses of Matthew, 400 years. 400 years. We have a hard time waiting for a two-minute stoplight. And can you imagine what it must have been like? In fact, by this time, many Jews were crossing their arms and saying, God's not showing up. God's not going to take care of us. Every year they celebrated a thing called Passover. We talk about that oftentimes around the Easter time, but Passover was their celebration, remembering when they were brought out of bondage in Egypt many, 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 many years before this time. And the promise that God said, I will free you. So that's going on in their heads. They, they were concerned. They were, they were desperate. God had been silent for 400 years. Every year they celebrated Passover. Every year they talked about the promises that God would come. In fact, if you go back and take a look at the Exodus account, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Hmm. Does God have a thing about 400 years? Maybe that's what teaches us patience. But for 400 years they'd been waiting for God to show up. And then there's Moses. Moses shows up and and, and we see uh, everything begin to change. We get the ten plagues. We get manna from heaven. We get the Red Sea parting. I didn't put this in order, so don't, don't fact check me, all right? And, and we get this, this whole idea of being able to go into the promised land and the walls of Jericho fall down. And that story is told through Passover every year. 
And they've read those stories every year about how Moses brings him out of Egypt. In Deuteronomy 18, in fact, it's, it, it talks there about the fact that God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses. That when the Messiah came, he was going to be like Moses. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. It says, Then the Lord said to me, now that's Moses who's talking. He's saying, The Lord said to me, Moses. He goes on and says this, What they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I have commanded him. And then God goes on to say, I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the message of the prophet proclaims on my behalf. See, the Israelites had waited a long time to hear from God in the first place. In this passage, God says, not only do you hear from me now through Moses, But in the future, you're going to hear from another prophet much like him. I mean, like Moses, he'll come with my word. Like Moses, he'll free my people. Like Moses, he will deliver them. Like Moses, he will free them. And and when will this prophet come who's like Moses? That's what they've been asking for these last 400 years since the last words of Malachi. I mean, how are Moses and Jesus alike? It's interesting when you put them side by side and you begin to think about this for a minute. Since it's Christmas, you often think about their birth. And and the reality is they were both born into a world where God's people were living under oppression by a government that didn't like them. In fact, Moses and Jesus were born at, at a time when a king has issued an edict that will kill all the Jewish boys. Moses was before he was born. Pharaoh says that in Exodus chapter 1, 22. Herod in Jesus' time says that all the baby boys need to be killed who were born after he finds out about the birth of Jesus. You can read that in Matthew 2, 16. And so if I said, hey, this week we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about someone that a king tried to kill at birth who was born into a, a, a crib made out of grass, that, that he sets up a covenant between God and, and his people, and, and that he comes after the people hadn't heard from God for 400 years, you wouldn't know whether I was talking about Moses or Jesus because they're the same. They began almost exactly the same. The people hadn't picked up on that yet by the time they hear from Jesus, and, and so they're still looking for this prophet In John chapter 1, we read about John the Baptist who's been speaking in the communities and he speaks with power and authority. And and the people who have been listening and listening for God and wondering if this is the the truth come to John and say, John, are you him? Are you this prophet we're waiting for? Are you Elijah? Are you the one that is going to free us from the Romans? I mean, are you the one that Moses refers to in Deuteronomy 18? Because the people knew the teaching. And John looks at him and goes, whoa, not me. No, no, I'm not even worthy to reach down and untie his shoes. There's somebody else coming. You read a little bit further on in John chapter 1, and you read about a guy named Philip. And Philip comes running back with great excitement because he has met this person, this guy, the one who is the Messiah. And notice what it says in John chapter 1. He comes running back to tell his friend Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I've met him. I've met him. We found the Messiah. But we missed the second part of that verse where he says this, the one who Moses 
told us about. See, we just kind of sling through that. That's Philip reminding us of this truth in Deuteronomy 18. He ties the story together. All this time has passed. The people have been waiting, waiting, waiting for this person who is like Moses. And, and Peter, excuse me, Philip says, we have met him. Man, no wonder there's joy when you hear the name Jesus begin to be used in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, we fast forward just a little bit, and this is Jesus in his very first recorded sermon, his very first recorded teaching. He's in the synagogue, and he's meeting there, and the, the leader of the synagogue invites him up and says, you read the text today. And what would happen in the synagogue is they would take the Torah, they would take the Word of God, and they would hand it to whoever was going to read it, and they would read the section. It was already marked, and all you had to do was pick it up and read it in Hebrew to the crowd and make a few comments on it. And just imagine Jesus. He looks down at the text. It's Isaiah 61. Maybe a little smile comes on his face because he knows this text. Not only had he memorized it in Hebrew school, but he wrote it. Right? You get that? Anybody? Wake up. No. Okay. He wrote the text. He ought to know it. Yeah, exactly. But, but he looks down at the text, and, and here's, here's what it says. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released, the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now Isaiah has written about Jesus. In fact, the whole book is about Jesus. He talks about the, the person who would be John the Baptist. He talks about the virgin birth. He talks about the miracles of Jesus. He even talks about the fact that the Messiah would be bitten, beaten and spit upon. And so Jesus reads this, they're expecting him to say something about the text. That's what a teacher always does. This text has been read many, many times in the synagogues over the years. And the teacher always stopped and said, here's what me means. The me in this passage is the Messiah. We're waiting for him to come, etc. And Jesus just, look what he does. He says he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. That is not normal when you read that passage. That is not the normal thing you would have done in the synagogue. You would have spent some time talking about what the passage means. And Jesus just sits down, the crowd looks at him, maybe in amazement, wondering, what just happened here? I mean, that's really a short sermon. Are we supposed to get up and leave now? Uh, he's not saying anything. There's just this silence. I mean, he needs to say something, but he doesn't say anything. In fact, by him not saying anything, it almost sounds like maybe, maybe he means this text to, to be something about him. And notice what the next verse says. It says, all eyes in the synagogue looked on him intently. They're expecting him to say something as a teacher, and there's this long, awkward silence. And then Jesus begins to speak to him. And he says a sentence that they have waited for hundreds of years to hear. He says, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus says, the scripture that I just read, this one that's right here in front of you, it's happening right now. Like, right now. 
It's being fulfilled this very day. And the people look at him in awe and they say, wait, 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 aren't you the carpenter's son? How could you be the Messiah? This is not what we expected at all. You know, that's similar to Moses' life too. Because they didn't expect Moses to be the leader in Egypt. And so here Jesus says, I'm him. I'm him. We look at Moses' life. He comes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go and pulls them out of the physical bondage of slaves in Egypt. And Jesus comes to set the people free from spiritual bondage and he stands before sin and death and says, let my people go. He came to set us free from the bondage of sin. I like the way Romans 8, 2 in the message says what Jesus did. It's this. Freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You see, there's this sense that we don't understand sin. We don't understand how it, it binds us and how it draws us in and how it tears us up and how it ruins our lives. So as I'm thinking about this whole picture, I'm wondering, what is it that I could bring today that would represent how reprehensible sin is in our lives? I remember I had a friend that showed me one time these. These are slave chains that were made somewhere around the 1730s. These chains held a person. These chains are about the most awful thing I think I could bring in here to show you. It was even hard for me to to decide to do that. These chains held a person. And these chains were unbreakable. I mean, if you look at them sometime, they are massive This is just one part of what was probably true for a slave in those days. And the scripture says that Jesus came to break those bonds. That Jesus came to tear them apart. Freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. And most of us don't think of ourselves as bondage and sin. Well, we we will say things like, you know, I'm really struggling with something. Or, or it's been a battle, but, but I'm, going, I'm going to keep going on. I'm kind of dealing with some stuff right now. It's been kind of hard. Can't seem to shake it. And because we don't recognize that, that we are or were slaves to sin, we don't fully appreciate what Jesus did when he broke those bonds. He came to set us free. I haven't seen the movie yet. I've only seen the trailer. I look forward to it. I love the the history as we try to remind ourselves of where we come from. And it's this new movie called Harriet. But in the trailer, it shows us the picture of Harriet Tubman as she becomes free and she's running away from the chains. She runs away from the chains. They've been broken. She's gone. She now becomes free. When she becomes free, and this is also a lesson in there for us, is that she realizes once she's free, she has to go back and tell people how they can be free as well. That's another sermon entirely. But she runs away from the chains. I'm concerned that for many of us, we don't run away from the chains. So I want to talk just for a minute about some of the ways that we stay bound. That we, yeah, Jesus broke them, but we keep picking them up off the ground. There's four ways. Let me just do this real quickly with you, okay? First one is this. You might know you're in bondage to sin if you keep doing it despite the negative consequences. You keep doing it in spite of the 
negative consequences. You, you, it was when you didn't realize that what your pride was costing you, but then once you did, you still fall back into those prideful behaviors. <clears throat> you didn't realize how much the lies and deceit were breaking up your family, but after you've left that, you go back and practice them again. You don't realize that lust and greed initially in your lives, what damage it's doing, but now you know, and you keep ordering another round. Sin has taken everything from us, and yet we keep going back to it. And Jesus came to set us free from the madness of sin and the cycle of sin. Remember our big idea? Jesus came to set us free. Another way you're, you know you're in bondage is when you don't feel like yourself when you try to stop. You see, what happens sometimes is this, this chain that's around me, it begins to define me. And I, I don't know how to define myself if I don't still have that sin. I mean, we say it, it becomes, it starts to feel like it's an identity for us. We say things like, I, I want to do things differently. I, w- I want to change. I can't. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. It's the way I'm wired. It's just who I am. And suddenly, our sinful desires become who we are, our identity. And it's in that moment that you've made yourself a slave to your sinful desires. But Jesus came to give us a new identity. When he broke the chains, he gave us a new identity. We're now children of the king. We're now his. He now cares for us. I'm identified by the sacrifice that Jesus made. I am a son or a daughter of God. Romans 6, 17 says it this way in the New Living Translation. It says, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching we have given you. Because the chains are broken, I can live differently, and I have a new identity in Jesus. Third way you might be in bondage is this. You work hard to keep it a secret. I mean, wow, you know, if they really knew what was going on in my life, i got to keep it buried away. I have to keep it. Sin wants to enslave you, and man, the worst thing that could happen is for somebody to find out what I'm doing or what I've done. And the more you decide to keep it in the darkness, then the stronger the grip that sin has over your life. I think that's one of the reasons why you see this great light when the shepherds are told about Jesus. And you have the wise men following a great light because light dispels darkness and it takes us out of that bondage of sin. You don't really have any close relationships because no one knows what you're dealing with. The struggles you have, the sin that has enslaved you. And when Jesus came, he offered forgiveness and grace. And he said, I'm going to break those chains. I'm going to bring it into the light. And I'm going to forgive you. And some of you know this full well, that the darkness, the darkness just sometimes is too deep. And that's why it's so strong. And what held you in bondage is so strongly in the dark that once it's in the light, though, the chains lose their power over us. Another way that you know you're in bondage is you turn to it to deal with it. Now, now what I mean by that is you, you see that sin has caused a lot of difficulties in your life, and then you turn to that sin, though, to deal with the pain that's in your life, the difficulties there. That's slavery, and that's, that's easy enough sometimes for us to see in the midst of the addictions, those traditional addictions we talk about, like alcohol and drugs and, and so forth. <clears throat> I mean, after all, a guy may see that his drug addiction has cost him his marriage, Or she sees that her alcoholism has driven away all of her friends. And so when he's alone, what does he do? 
He uses drugs. When she is left alone, she slips back into her alcohol again. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that we do celebrate recovery here on Monday nights at 630 is because we have to expose those things to the light. And we expose them best to the light with fellow travelers. That's what Celebrate Recovery does. I mean, somebody has a spending problem, and shopping and spending has threatened their marriage, their relationship, and so when stress comes into their life, what do they do? They fall right back into the same patterns. Or or a guy has a porn habit. I could say that for women today, too, but it's created a rift in his his life, in his marriage, and there's a wall that separates him and his wife, and, and he thinks it's her fault, which it never is. He thinks it's her fault, and he feels rejected and frustrated, so where does he go? Back to the porn site. He doesn't deal with it. He picks the chains up, puts them back on again. That's the definition of bondage. No escape. Jesus came to free us. Sin makes us a slave by just leaving us discouraged and helpless and hopeless. That's why we light these candles. We're reminded of hope. We're reminded of peace. We're reminded of of joy. We're reminded of love. We're reminded of the Christ comes into our lives and changes everything. Maybe that's where some of you are right now. You're discouraged because even as I've talked, you realize it's true that, that you paid a high price and not just you but others, but you just keep coming back and you told yourself many times, tomorrow's going to be different. I'm not going to do this tomorrow, but it never is because that's what sin does to us. It covers up. We can't do this on our own. It beats us up. And then finally we feel like, I just can't get up. I can't do it again. It's fascinating that similar kinds of things are happening in the Bible. Exodus chapter 6, when Moses comes to tell the people what God's about to do in their lives, that he's going to free them from Egypt. And Moses wants to encourage them to follow God because Pharaoh has increased their workload. Things are rougher now that Moses shows up and has started saying to, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And the people were just not sure this is going to happen. And so God says to Moses here in, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 6, he says, I am the Lord. And then he goes on and says this. Here's my message. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. But look at what happens in verse 9. It says, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, that the Lord's going to free them. And how do they react? But they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Another version says they didn't even hear him because their spirits were beaten down by their harsh slave conditions. Sometimes we struggle with this message of freedom from God because we have been so beat up and so chained. And we've learned to live this that we don't believe there's a way out. And I'm here today to tell you, the baby in the manger is not just there to coo and to look cute, but he's there to break these chains in your life. It's the Christmas season. We have a message of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. No more bondage. The chains are broken. And we can live like it. Some of you are still in bondage and sin has beaten you up. And you're struggling. We'll have people up here in front who want to pray with you. Kevin and I would love to talk to you about how to come to Jesus and break those chains and let them fall from you. 
I mean, you're struggling because the people who are around you have given up on you. You've given up on yourself. You're here maybe because this is the last step. Don't leave here with the chain still attached. You see us celebrating Christmas. You hear these words and you go, there's nothing in the message. Let me tell you, there is. I know you've been beaten down by the harsh conditions of slavery. The sin has made you a slave. But Jesus came to set you free. And he will do that. He came to free the oppressed, to release the captives. If you feel beat up and held down by sin this Christmas, then my prayer during this season is you would become a before and after story. That's why we are doing the transformation stories every week because we have people who say, this is how Jesus changed my life. It's never going to be the same again because of Christmas. You don't have to be the same person after the service that you were before. So I want to encourage you to see somebody before you leave today. You know, in the midst of all that, it's not just a message that we speak here at White Oak and Coleraine, but we speak it around the world. Because of our Cannonball Initiative, the generosity that you've shown, we are sending this message all around the world. And today I wanted to introduce you to one of our mission partners, Suja Brain. Tom and Suja are missionaries in in, uh, West Africa. And and I just wanted them to update you a little bit on some of the things that are happening in West Africa to bring joy and life to a continent that's often talked about as being dark. So Suja, come on up. Thank you. like Rick said, I'm Suja Brain and from Impact West Africa, which is a ministry of White Oak Christian Church. And this morning, I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to just share with you a little bit about what God's doing on the other side of the globe. To introduce our family, my husband Tom is sharing at our Ross campus this morning, but we have three children, Anna, who is almost 14, Naomi, who's 10, 12, oh my, she's 12, not 10 anymore, and Josiah, who's 8. I started attending White Oak when I was just four years old, so it's been four plus decades, and I knew Rick in his younger days back then. <laughs> and I'm a Corrine High School and University of Cincinnati grad. Tom started attending White Oak in 1992, about 25 years ago. And in 1998, we got married here in this very sanctuary. I'm 100% a product of White Oak Christian Church, of people like Rick Stewart, Bruce Maxwell, Thelma Reed, John Weatherly, and many others investing in my life, challenging me to live out my faith in Christ. And there's no doubt that without White Oak, we would not be serving in West Africa today. Um, About seven to eight years ago, our family moved to West Africa as missionaries. Because this is being recorded and because due to increased security threats in our region, I can't say the name of where we serve, but you'll see the name of the country on the slides as we pop it up here. But 95% of the people um, in our country of service are Muslims, and it is also the seventh least developed country in the world. And as you can imagine, the people The people in our country live under incredible physical and spiritual bondage. And we yearn for the people to know that they have a Heavenly Father who is passionately and relentlessly pursuing a relationship with them and wants to set them free from bondage, wants to set them free from their sin. And so our strategy in ministry is to use development products, projects, medical outreach, and educational initiatives to develop relationships with people and communities people and communities in order to gain access into their lives, to gain the respect and trust needed to be able to speak into their lives about Jesus. 
Impact, as we call ourselves, is made up of three of us, all here from White Oak Christian Church, but we work in conjunction with the Christian and Missionary Alliance team um, in West Africa. My husband, Tom, has a burden to help people in our country come out from under the bondage uh, or the yoke of poverty. He accomplishes this by working through development projects in conjunction with our local churches in the area through microenterprise projects as well as farming initiatives. Um, As a family medicine doctor, my heart and passion in doing missions has always been to leverage the love and compassion that is shown through medicine for really advancing the kingdom of God. Working at the Women and Children's Hospital in our town gives me ample opportunities to be able to advocate for the health needs of those especially who are marginalized um, in in our region. And it's amazing how their testimonies of health and healing are planting seeds and really opening doors um, to, for the gospel to be shared. The third person on our impact team is Minta Berry, who is also a very longtime member of White Oak Christian Church. In addition to educating our three children, she serves alongside us through educational initiatives. And so together, our desire is to do intentional acts of love, to inspire spiritual curiosity, and to build kingdom credibility especially in Muslim communities, with the goal of pointing people to Jesus. As we know, this week our, <clears throat> our word is joy, joy. Excuse me. So what are some of the ways that you've seen joy expressed in your ministry, particularly through some of the Cannonball initiatives? Wow, um, there have been so many um, examples and ways through which the Cannonball Initiative has really brought joy, not just into our ministry, but really has blessed the lives of uh, the people in our country. Uh, but what brings me joy is when Tom develops and teaches an alternative fuel source for the many women who are still cooking over an open fire and who are struggling to find wood. What brings me joy is when Tom's farming initiatives are opening doors into Muslim communities for sharing the gospel. What What brings me joy is hearing the news that White Oaks VBS raised more than enough money to help build a basketball court for the deaf school in our town. What brings me joy is the joy that the lives of two communities um, will have because Impact was able to help fund the digging, the drilling of two wells in their communities um, and the church and the blessing it'll be to the church. What brings me joy is when Impact is making small jests to meet the physical needs facing internally displaced people who are very similar to refugees who are fleeing from terrorist violence in the central part of our country and coming into our town. What brings me joy is when Impact was able to partner with a local church who was meeting under mango trees and we were able to help help them finance the building of their physical church there. But what also brings me great joy is when a church in Cincinnati, Ohio is impacting people's lives half a world away through their prayers and through their sacrificial giving to the Cannonball Initiative. And this is just to name a few of many uh, things that bring, me, uh, that bring me joy. But I want to share a quick story of one of my patients uh, who's being impacted, and his testimony of health brings me um, great joy. His name is Lo, and he is five years old. Uh, and if his picture pops up, I'll try to point it out to you. He, he and his father, Mori, are from the, a very Muslim community. It's about two hours from where we live. There's no running water, no electricity in their village, and most people live in mud brick homes. Our team was trying to reach out to this village, but began meeting resistance as they started sharing Bible stories. But during that process, they, met, they noticed this young boy who seemed to struggle doing simple tasks. 
But they, they were able to convince uh, the dad, Maury, to bring Lo to come to our hospital. And so after several invitations from our church planting team, Maury uh, brought his son Lo to the hospital to see me this past June. And come to find out, Lo has been having seizures since he was born. And that is Lo um, up there on the screen right now. But Lo has been having seizures um, since he was born. He was having over 10 seizures a week, and many of them were lasting over 30 minutes. And this was significantly impacting his quality of life and what he was able to do. Traditional healers and Muslim marabous were unable to really help control Lo's seizures. Maury's, Maury, his father, was desperate for help and to find help for his son. So over a four-month period, we met several times adjusting Lowe's medications, and it brings me indescribable joy today to share with you that by the end of September, the month of September, Lowe was down from having 50-plus seizures a month to having just three small seizures that were minimally impacting his life. And it is a huge testimony of God's mercy and his grace upon the life of, Maury, of Lowe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, God is so good. Maury was beyond joyful. Um, Maury had his little boy back who was running around like all the other kids in the village. But there was something more important that was happening. Uh, we were intentionally and strategically working behind the scenes with the, with the nearby national pastor because we want to leverage medicine for advancing the kingdom, for church planting. We wanted Muri and his community to see the pastor and to see the church as a place of help and healing. And as a result of Lowe's testimony of health, Muri and I developed this incredible relationship of trust and respect. But what was more important was that there was this relationship of trust and respect that was also developing between Muri and the national pastor. And since that time, Muri has attended a church service once, and even in our absence, our teammates have gone to visit Lo and his family in Mizanzo. A door once closed into a community possibly being reopened again, inspiring spiritual curiosity, building kingdom credibility through intentional acts of love with the ultimate goal of introducing people to Jesus, what could bring us more joy than to be invited by God to be a part of what he is doing and how he is moving um, in West Africa. And so a huge thank you to each of you here at White Oak for your generous, because your generosity to impact through your sacrificial cannonball giving is making tsunami-sized waves in West Africa. It's setting people free from their physical and spiritual bondage and bringing joy into lives of people half a world away. Now, that is joy. Wow, wow. Thank you, Suja. That is amazing. We talk about that idea as community health evangelism, that what we do here, we talked last summer about us being for our community. We want to do things that raises this community up so that we get an opportunity to speak about the work that Jesus has done in our lives, how he's broken our bonds of sin, how he's brought us life. And now there's that opportunity to talk to someone else about how he can bring life into them because they've, they've watched how God has taken this little boy's seizures from, from 10 a day to three a month. Right. I mean, that's just amazing to watch that and you get that opportunity. Susie, you, you, you and Tom are deeply loved by us. And of course, 
two things. Number one is how we can help you in the ministry uh, on a daily basis. But also, we're concerned for you because we know that you live in a relatively dangerous area. So talk to us just for a minute about security there. Yeah, absolutely. Ministry is not easy where we serve on many levels. But one of the greatest challenges our country of services facing right now is just um, terrorist activity. As the terrorists are being driven out of the Middle East, they are making our country one of their new bases of operation. And this really poses unprecedented um, instability and threats both to the people, but also to us as foreigners who are serving there. Uh, Security and and stability are really deteriorating at an alarming rate that's also alarming the international community as well, too. More and more people are being internally displaced. And so the, the people where we serve, they desperately need your prayers. And so if there is one other thing that would bring me, us, great joy is your continued prayers uh, for the work that is being done um, in our region. And I want to ask you, if you do not receive our e-newsletter, want to just email us at brainfamily at thewocc.com. It's one of the greatest ways, your prayers are one of the greatest ways that you can partner with what God is doing in West Africa and how your sacrificial giving is also making an impact. In addition to praying for the people um, and just the stability in the area, I would ask that you, for your continued prayers for us um, and for us as a family, that God would would help us to walk in obedience to how the Holy Spirit is guiding us in ministry, um, especially during these challenging times. Okay. Thank you, Suja. We're going to continue our worship today in just a few minutes with our communion time. But right now, would you pray with me as I pray for Suja and Tom and their family? Father, we thank you for Tom and Suja. We thank you for uh, Suja's great training as a, as a physician, her willingness to take that to West Africa, for Tom's uh, training as an entrepreneur and helping people develop businesses and look for ways to do agriculture in a better way in their community. I thank you for their love for people, and I thank you for their children who have walked with them into a foreign country into a place where the gospel is hardly mentioned but will bring great freedom. Father, I pray your blessing upon them as they continue to celebrate with us here in the States through this Christmas time as they gather together with family and friends. And I pray that they have been rested through this time, they've been encouraged through this time, and they've been energized. Father, I know that they plan to leave and be back in West Africa after the first of the year. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to give them the desires of their hearts. Father, I pray your blessing upon the ministry. We do pray, while we pray for protection, we know that they're in your hands and that you care for them. They're your children first. So bless them, God, and use them. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.